Hello, and welcome to Labors in the Harvest with Kevin Folger. This podcast is a weekly conversation about the gospel and the work that God is doing through those who labor for him. Kevin Folger, your host, is a man with over four decades of ministry experience. For 41 years, he served on the pastoral staff of Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. He currently serves as the North America Director of Spiritual Leadership Asia, a ministry that assists those endeavoring to preach the gospel and plant Baptist churches in the 1040 window with a particular focus on Asia. Now here's Kevin with this week's Labors in the Harvest podcast. This is Kevin Folger, and this is Labors in the Harvest podcast. I want to thank you for joining me today on this new episode for 2022 of Labors in the Harvest. For our friends who have been a part of our podcast over the last couple of years, you will remember that our last podcast that we published last year was in October, and we decided that we'd take a little bit of a break from recording, just trying to analyze and determine whether we should continue on. Uh, many of you also are aware that I travel for a ministry called Spiritual Leadership Asia. I'm out across our country, and uh, Lord willing, and uh, later this year, we'll be over in Asia uh, doing some work. But as I've been out and about, and as I've talked to people and met them on the road, I've had several people share with me that they're listeners to this podcast and appreciated what we were doing. And uh, when I shared with them that I wasn't sure that I was going to continue Many of them have encouraged me to go ahead and keep on doing what we're doing. So again, we're grateful to be able to um, bring this podcast to you today. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you've been a listener in the past, to let others know that we're back on. And uh, we're going to change the format just a little bit. Instead of doing something on a weekly basis and dropping them every Tuesday, we've decided we're going to just drop maybe once a month. And uh, in the past, we've taken our interviews and we've broken them up over a period of uh, maybe a couple of weeks, sometimes three weeks, depending on uh, the length of the particular uh, interview that we had with someone who's laboring for the Lord. So this year, uh, what we've decided to do is we're going to drop that entire interview at once, and it'll be once a month, and that way you'll have the opportunity to listen at length. And of course, you can determine how you want to listen to it if you want to break it up yourself, or if you want to just uh, sit down and just listen to the entire uh, interview that we have with our guests. So please uh, share this uh, information with other people. Let them know that they can get Labors in the Harvest at almost every uh, podcast platform there is. And again, we're grateful to be able to start once again this year with this new uh, edition of Labors in the Harvest. So I want to take a moment and uh, in just a second, I'm going to introduce you to my guests for this week. And again, we're grateful to have you back. Please pray for Labors in the Harvest and let others know that you're listening. And again, that would be a great blessing to us. Take take a moment and I'll, I'll introduce our guests. Well, it's my joy to uh, welcome James and Amber Pranger to uh, Labors in the Harvest podcast. And uh, again, uh, I've known James a whole lot longer. I've known Amber. Uh, James, uh, my first recollection, he was just a little, little boy running around here when his parents came to Cleveland Baptist. And uh, they ended up going as missionaries to Russia out of the Cleveland Baptist Church. And that would have been back in the, what what would that have been when you guys first went? We went in 94. 1994, okay. Just before I came, became the pastor of the church here, but I was, was serving on the staff. So uh, James and Amber, thanks for being a part of the, today's uh, podcast. Yeah, sure. thanks for the opportunity to be able to be with you. 
All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about your stories. And so, Amber, I'm going to start with you. Where were you born and where were you raised? I was born in Alabama, but I was raised in Florida. Okay. It's very sunny there. <laughs> it's a little bit different than where you're serving now. By the way, yeah. James and Amber are missionaries out of the Cleveland Baptist Church to um, Magadan, Russia. And uh, they've been missionaries. Uh, I guess they're working on uh, this year, third term? or mm-hmm. this year, third, third term. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. So, uh, Amber, um, obviously, at a point, you end up in Bible college. Can you talk a little bit about God's leading you to ministry and how the, all that work? And sure. how'd you end up at, at Heartland Baptist Bible College? Well, I ended up at Heartland. I was at camp, I believe, in eighth grade, and they had a singing group there. Mm-hmm. And I just felt impressed to go there, and it just kind of stuck with me. And even as a senior in high school, um, I was kind of straying or teetering between two paths to take, and I just really felt the Lord telling me to go to Heartland and that that was what He wanted me to do. And so I surrendered that, um, and I went to Heartland. I grew up in a Baptist church my whole life. Mm-hmm and made a profession of faith when I was five, but got saved at 17. And so when I went to Heartland, um, I feel like that was the first time I had to step out in faith on my own as an adult, leaving home from Florida to Oklahoma. I thought that was bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, that's how I ended up at Heartland. And I just had told the Lord I would do whatever the Lord wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. So when James and I were talking, he mentioned he might want to go back to Russia as a missionary. And so I thought, well... I said, well, I don't feel called personally to be a missionary, but if that is what God would desire of me, I believe he will prepare my heart for that, and I've just surrendered really to do whatever God wants me to do, and honestly not really expecting we would end up on the mission field. I just thought that would kind of fade away in his mind, but it didn't. Well, when you guys came out, obviously met at Heartland, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. How far were you into your education when uh, your lives kind of came together? our third year yeah it was our third year we had we were freshmen together and uh, so we knew each other mm-hmm. and I guess we probably had a few classes together but it wasn't like we were interested in, in each other at that point until mm-hmm. later on okay he had other girlfriends <laughs> well that's how it works sometimes isn't it, it? Is. you know you got and then the Lord yeah. got his heart right yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> we won't, we won't talk together. about the other way <laughs> well James let's talk a little bit about your life right. because uh, obviously uh, you basically grew up in Russia. How old were you when your family landed there? So I was, uh, I think, just a couple months past my sixth birthday when okay. we landed. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about uh, what that was like for you as a child. Uh, you know, obviously you have no choice. Uh, your parents are going, and so you end up like your children, you know, end up because uh, they're your children, and they're following, um, you know, as parents are leading. But uh, how did that work for you, and, and what kind of culture shock did you go through as a, as a child? Okay. Well, um, you know, honestly, all throughout almost the two years of deputation that my parents, I traveled with them. We were in a, like a motor home kind of thing, traveling around the states. I, You know, at that point, it, it really never hit home until actually we were up in Alaska getting ready to get on an airplane. And uh, the funny thing about that was is as we got to the airport, we were like way overloaded with baggage and everything else and so overweight with all our bags that we were going to have to pay a, a lot of money to be able to get all our bags sent over to Russia. And the vivid memory I have as a six-year-old boy was uh, my mom pulling out clothes out of the suitcase and making me put two and three layers of clothes <laughs> on. And uh, I was very particular about what kind of clothes I wore at that point. And I remember 
uh, that day getting on the airplane and having to wear my pajamas on top of my jeans. And I was like very adamantly against ever wearing pajamas out in public at that point. And so, well, it's now it's culture, right? I mean, that's what people do. So, I remember you could look back, there's a picture floating around of when we were actually at the airport. We had gotten a picture, a family picture, before we uh, went to our gate. And uh, you could look at the expression on my face, and it tells it all. It's actually not a bad idea. Maybe we should try that this time when we go back. <laughs> so, and I, I think the first thing I did once I got on the airplane was go into the bathroom, make sure I put my jeans over top of my pajama pants. <laughs> but uh, that was that was one of the memories I have. And I remember, you know, landing in Russia was only a four-hour flight. Landing in Magadan, and all of a sudden, everything being completely different. You know, no longer were there the breezeways to to meet the airplane that you had to get off onto this little trailer cattle car thing to go to the airport and there were soldiers there with machine guns standing greeting the airplane and you know Russia at that point only was only three years removed from Pitastroika when they had been free so it was a completely different world and I just remember there being a lot of snow and uh, it was just completely different and I remember specifically even during the first year or so just being out and about and not understanding when you know these Russian grandmas would come yelling at me because I was doing something that apparently wasn't acceptable uh, to them, which is very common within the Russian culture. And I just remember them yelling at me and like, I don't know, I don't know what she's saying, so I don't care. <laughs> but uh, the Lord uh, really kind of used that time though, all the way from then up until uh, I uh, just before I graduated from high school. Lord used that to kind of confirm to me and show me specifically the need for mission work and the gospel in Russia that uh, when then the Lord directed me back to the States to finish out my senior year in high school and then go on to Bible college that uh, I had a burden specifically for Russia and uh, even though at that point I didn't know if God wanted to have me to go back to Russia as a missionary I knew definitely I was well aware of a need and uh, that's what the Lord really used to work in my heart to then uh, allow me to bring me to a point of surrender to go back. So when you uh, when your family was there, you guys moved around a little bit there in Russia. Is that yes. correct? So you were started in Magadan. So we started off in Magadan, and we were there for about nine months. And then uh, the Lord opened the door for us to move right about an hour and a half north of there. About um, I think it was actually like fifty miles north, but then it took that long. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then we moved to the town of Palatka. And we were there for about three and a half years before then due to some visa situations where we ended up having to leave Palatka and then we moved another three hours north from there. And we served in a small little town of about 4,000 people called Ustyomchuk. And we were there for probably another three years or so, maybe a little bit more than that. And then once again, my parents ran into visa uh, issues to where then the last year that I spent in Russia, our family ended up relocating to central Russia, mm -hmm. four time zones to the west of us, to the city of Krasnoyarsk. Okay. So that's yeah. where I was at right before I came to college. Okay. All right. So obviously as a child, um, you picked up the Russian language and speak it without any type of accent. You speak it like a, a, a national. Would that be a correct assessment? Yes, that would be a correct assessment. Although there are some times that uh, when I'm outside and my cheeks are very cold, it's uh, some certain words are hard to pronounce in Russian, but even the Russians struggle with those yeah. words when it's really cold. So, so to, is that just kind of an organic thing? You just picked it up as you, or did you have to study the language or you just picked it up as you were playing with kids and involved in, in everyday life in Russia? So there's actually some funny stories to that because because uh, uh, the first probably six months that we were in Russia, my parents had a young lady, I think she was ninth grade, she would come to the house to instruct us and teach us kids. But I knew specifically what day she was coming and I never wanted to sit through the classes. And so I would purposely <laughs> take a nap so that I would sleep through the uh, language study time. So I never, 
I only have like a vague memory of maybe one or two times actually sitting through the actual Russian classes that uh, this girl was teaching us kids uh, Russian. And so uh, all my experience with speaking Russian was learning it from the neighborhood kids. Huh. And, that, and, and that, you guys all went to music school. Yes, we went to music school, but uh, really the first year and a half when before we were still Magna in transition time to Palatka, that uh, it was just from learning and picking up from kids. And uh, like I said, that does have some of its downsides. Mm-hmm. You know, we were playing with neighborhood kids that apparently at seven years old. <laughs> I had learned, quite the vocabulary, is that right? Quite the vocabulary, yeah, enough to make a sailor blush, so to speak. But, uh, um, you know, that was always quite the funny expressions when we would ask the Russian teacher as to what does this word mean? And uh-huh. she would get quite the expression on her face over it. And uh, so we quickly learned not to repeat those yeah, words. There's some things that you should not say, right? Yeah. yeah so, anyway. Well, then you came back and uh, ended up at Heartland as well, and then God brought the two of you together, and then you started a journey of ministry after graduation. So you guys finished Heartland what year? So uh, I graduated in 2010, and Mm -hmm. Amber graduated in 2009 with a three-year degree. Okay. And uh, so then two days after we graduated, we got married, and then the Lord led us to Lake Milton Baptist Temple in uh, Lake Milton, Ohio, which is right outside of Youngstown. Mm-hmm. And the Lord led us there to be youth pastor and assistant pastor there at the church. And okay. And then you were there a couple of years, and then God just really intensified a burden to, to reach Russia, or go back to Russia, I should say. So we were there actually for just shy of one year when the Lord really began prompting and moving us to mm-hmm. go to Russia. And mm-hmm. so then total time was almost a year and a half from mm-hmm. the time that we started to when we resigned our position and then came to Cleveland Baptist to okay. complete a missions internship. Okay. All right. And then uh, once you uh, once you completed that internship, you started raising support. How long did that take you to, guys to get that done? So from the very beginning of raising support, which was uh, end of March of 2012 till I believe it was October 23rd of 2013, we were actually was when we left for the field. So um, we had our son firstborn. He was born during that time. So total time altogether was 18 months or but really travel time was probably closer to 15. That's really quite unusual today. It normally takes two to three years for most people to raise their support. So what do you attribute that? Obviously, we know God, but I mean, is, sure. do you think it's part, part of it's because of who you are as far as having experience in Russia and language, hit the ground and begin to be effective immediately? Or what do you kind of attribute that to? Uh, I think there's, there's multiple aspects. I would definitely say that us, me specifically knowing the Russian language and being not just a uh, first-generation missionary knowing the language, but a second-generation having grown up there and lived there and been a part of the culture. I think that really uh, added to the, the, the aspect of us being able to raise our support because um, you know we were able to go in and really from day one get plugged in and mm-hmm. automatically be involved in, in ministry. Oftentimes, missionaries, you know, almost their entire first term is spent learning language and culture to where uh, the actual ministry involvement is not as much as what they desire it to be because of not knowing the language, yeah. whereas from day one we were able to get plugged in right away. So I really think that that added to it. Then also Russia has always been a unique country, uh, specifically for the need for the gospel that uh, in so many ways is very intriguing for Americans, especially you know, given the climate nowadays and even what it's been ever since you know the Cold War era, mm-hmm. that uh, we've always viewed Russia in a certain light as Americans. And then also there's the aspect of uh, uh, futuristic events, eschatological events in the future, and how Russia is tied to that, that I feel like that always has a, a unique intriguing aspect to it that really draws attention that okay. really helped us. Yeah. So Amber, let me just ask you, did you struggle a little bit with uh, 
the reality of leaving America, um, your homeland, and even though your husband's been there and kind of grew up there, did you guys take a survey trip at all, or just mm-hmm. yeah, okay? We did. It was okay. about two weeks. Okay. So yes, I did struggle, especially in the beginning. <clears throat> and I don't know if you remember, but I think it was literally our first anniversary. Like our anniversary was on a Sunday, and we were sitting in your office talking about the possibility of. Cleveland Baptist being our sending church, and I'm like trying not to cry, like scared of what's going to happen. But when he came home from the men's conference he had went to where you preached at, and he felt the Lord calling him Mm. then, he came home so excited, and I was just really shocked because Mm. I was just like, what? And I just thought, well, maybe in a few days he'll get over this, like, excitement. But no, he kept contacting the missionaries over there, and he was excited to learn that it was open Mm -hmm. and we could go with ease. And I just was really scared. And I felt actually the same way I did when I surrendered to go to Bible college in that moment again. I knew I was fighting God's will. Mm -hmm. And I said, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And I was really scared as I said it, but I was sincere, and the Lord just gave me peace. Mm -hmm. And so I just prayed. I said, Lord... Help me um, to know that this is your will. Because I want to call too. I Mm -hmm. want you to call me as well. And I just prayed that the Lord would pay for our survey trip tickets because I had never traveled outside of the country. And when I saw how expensive they were, I thought, man, that's really expensive. So I just prayed. And he didn't know I was praying that. But about a week later, he prayed um, or he called me and he said, you'll never guess what happened. And I was on my way home from work and I said, did our plane tickets get paid for? And he said, how did you know? And I just, it was, it, it was the first time the Lord had done something like that for me. And I just knew that this was his will and mm-hmm. he was going to take care of me, even though I didn't know what lay ahead. And now looking back almost nine years on the field, I just, it's just better than I could have ever imagined. And living in Magadan is definitely not Um, glamorous or it's beautiful a lot of natural beauty but it really has a lot less than uh, other larger cities Mm -hmm. in Russia like where we moved from in Krasnyarsk but I know it's exactly where God wants us and it's just the best feeling in the world to be in the center of God's will doing what he's called you to do and he's just really given me a love for it for the people so when you first uh, okay so you get took your survey trip you guys did your your um, raise your support now it's time to leave, and you land in Russia as, quote, missionaries. Okay. James, obviously, has got a leg up because he knows the language, he sure. knows the culture. And so what kind of struggle was that for you in the first couple of years or little while to really kind of get acclimated and get to the point where you you could live there and feel somewhat comfortable conversing with people? Mm-hmm. Well, the first six months I feel like was kind of hard because we were doing furlough relief for somebody out in a village mm-hmm. and I just couldn't find a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe J- this is wrong, but I feel like James thought I would just pick it up like he picked it up yeah. as a child. And my Russian teacher that I did eventually find was also teaching other missionaries at the same time. So it wasn't a lot. It mm-hmm. was like once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like it was really hard for me to get like a good grasp. And by then we're having more children in the, the future years. And really when we moved to Magadan three years ago, I feel like it's been the best for my language because okay. there weren't any other Americans around. Mm-hmm. And in Crescent there were many other American families where it was really easy to be comfortable speaking mm-hmm. English um, and learning the Russian. I do remember the first time I went to the store and James, I said, well, how do I say cocoa? And he's like, cacao. And so I tried because you had to ask the lady for it mm-hmm. and she would get it behind the counter and she just looked at me and I'm like pointing like I know mm-hmm. zero words at this point and it's really humbling. Language learning yeah. is very humbling. Yeah. 
Um, but you realize your need of the Lord, and yeah. it's a good good thing too. Yeah. But it has to be a little bit um, frustrating in a sense that your kids pick it up so fast, right? Sure, sure, <laughs> yes, yes. They don't. Have, they just go out and play, and you know they're yeah. coming home and they're yeah. starting to speak these words and yeah. Yeah. just watch the vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, you guys were in uh, Crestney Arts for a while. Yes. And you work with another family, the Jones family. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And how long, it was the first two terms you were there, basically, that we did that? Yes, basically yeah. the first two terms, okay. almost six years. So okay. we moved in Ma, to Magadan in 2019 in okay. May, so from October of 2013. Yeah. Well, for our listeners' benefit, I uh, had the opportunity, um, myself and two men from our church, to come over to Russia. We actually had two families out of our church, or a single man and, and the Prangers that were serving there at that time. And so we ended up in... Uh, Novosibirsk to start with, flew into uh, Moscow, and, and uh, our missionary by the name of Gary Lucas, single man, met us there and kind of gave us a little bit of tour. We got to uh, walk through um, St. Peter's Square, the, uh, go to the, yeah, the, the Red Square there and see all the stuff that everybody wants to see. But I got to tell you, the uh, subway system in Moscow was overwhelming. And if you do not speak the language, you could easily get yourself lost and never be found, I think. But I was grateful that he was there. But because uh, it's several layers, the trains go in different directions and not much in English. And so, but uh, so we spent some time with him. And then I remember getting on a train in the evening and riding overnight and landing in uh, Kresniarsk the next day. And boy, that train was so hot, man. I'm telling you, this, this is Siberia where you guys are living. Mm-hmm. So, our, so our, our, our listeners know you guys were living in Siberia. I went in November. It was brutally cold. It was a wake-up moment for me. But we had a great time visiting with your family and, and the opportunity. So talk a little bit about that. What is it like for your pastor to come and visit you? All right. So, I mean, that was the best. That's very, very unique, too. And, uh, you know, I remember uh, when pastor came because of uh, the uh, the time difference, too. It was 12 hours yeah. time difference. Mm-hmm. And so Pastor and uh, the couple of guys that came with him, they were still trying to adjust yeah. to the, the time uh, the time difference. And I remember, I think the first day that Pastor had gotten in, I wanted to take him to this one place that overlooked the city. And uh, it was at night. We'd had a missionary get-together trying to introduce Pastor to the different missionaries that were there. And so here we are. It's probably 8 o'clock at night, and I'm we're driving him through the center of town to go to this Overlook Mountain. And I look over at Pastor, and he's just passed out of sleep. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, maybe this isn't the greatest idea in regard to trying to run, run him all over the place. But uh, it was it was tremendously a, a, a huge blessing to us just to be able to see some familiar play, faces and just yeah. have So uh, did have you wake him up? Um, I think, I think we yeah, we got up to the top. I remember <laughs> seeing some things, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, we had a great time, and it was it was wonderful. I um I, I always enjoyed as a when I was pastoring, always enjoyed visiting the families out of our church, and uh, to see the work. And I think you know, again, there's just a unique thing for them to be an encouragement to the, to the folks. So, how did the Lord lead you from Kresniars to Magadan? So that was a place where you landed when you yes. first went to, to Russia many many years ago. So ever since I was a kid, as I shared before, I always knew that Russia had a great need for the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then also specifically that the Far East, that uh, that was an area that in a lot of ways most Russians try, try to leave the Far East and go to greener pastures, so to speak, in the western parts of Russia. And so uh, just as the Russians are trying to leave the Far East, the you know missionaries, there are very few and far between. In fact, in the mid-thousands, almost all of them left, and the only missionary that I knew in the entire Far East was uh, Eric Kropa, who is still currently there, 
uh, in the city of Sokol, which is about 40 minutes outside of Magadan. So really, the entire eastern part of Russia was just, there was no missionary work. There's some Russian Baptist works going on, but actual missionary work of our stripe, there was nothing going on. And so that was always a burden in my heart to want to go back to the Far East to do that. But I know that there were some visa issues that we would have to overcome to be able to eventually go back and stay there and be able to minister long term. And so from the beginning that we went to Krasnoyarsk with the idea that at some point there was a very good chance that God would lead us to go to the Far East. So we went to Krasnoyarsk. We were able to get established there and get our permanent green cards for Russia, which would then allow us to move to the east and not have issues that my parents had in the past with visas and so on. And so that was, it was kind of our goal from the beginning, not knowing concretely for sure as to when the Lord would lead us or if he for sure would lead us. But that was something definitely in the back of our mind that we, we had a goal, that we had a desire to go there, and that as long as the Lord presented it and opened the door, then we would go. And so we went and visited uh, Eric Krop and the ministry there in Magadan in 2018. And we just, we just fell in love with the region. It was just the mentality of the people and uh, really just the need there. It was just so drastically different than what we were familiar uh, with, specifically in Krasnoyarsk. It was just very refreshing, just seeing the openness even of the people. And uh, so then that's, the Lord used that then to, after, uh, after that trip, we'd come back to the States on a six-month furlough, and then after that was when we began making plans to move. So physically, miles-wise, how far is it from Krasnoyarsk to Magadan? Oh, man, that's, uh, it's four time zones, and physically, miles-wise, if you were to drive it, about I... About 3,000? It'd be about... I'd, yeah, I'd say it's probably very close to 3,000. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the vastness of, of Russia is just hard to... As far as its size, it's just hard to wrap your mind around. So it's like, how many t- time zones are there? Four. Four. Or, or total. Uh, in total. I, I think right now it spans mm-hmm. 11, I think, mm-hmm. right now. Wow. Because there's a, a little piece of land within that's landlocked in Europe, Kaliningrad, mm-hmm. and so that's considered part of it. So if you go yeah. from Kaliningrad all the way to the Bering Strait. So it's a large country landmass, but how many people live in Russia? How many Russian people? They is have an estimated right about 145 million people. So. So it'd be about a third of the size of the United States. Correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, when you guys went, and of course it was after, as missionaries originally, uh, as a child, it was after the fall of communism. Mm-hmm. Um, we say communism is still alive, but the you know they opened up the the uh, the Eastern Wall and you know uh, the, what perestroika is that how you say it? Yeah. You know, they, it became a, a situation. So Russia became a little bit more friendly, but you guys still had struggles with visas and being able to stay. So your parents ended up leaving Russia because of why? Um, so my parents ended up leaving Russia during a time, it was like in the mid, early thousands, 2000s, it was like every six months laws were being changed in regard to immigration status for people. It was just a very confusing time. It was just constantly evolving and constantly changing. And my parents ended up leaving Russia, I believe it was during, in 2007, when Russia passed a law in regard to visas that they had not been able to get their permanent residency at that point. And so Russia passed a law in regard to visas where they could only stay for three months in Russia, and then they would have to leave Russia and return to the U.S. for three months Mm. before they could return to Russia. And so when Russia had passed a law in regard to visa restrictions, 
it really just became a point of, are we really going to be effective in doing what God has called us to do if we have to leave every three months for three months? Mm -hmm. And so then the Lord kind of directed them at that point back to the States for a short little while before then when they're stateside, the Lord directed them to go to Hungary. Yeah. So they're, they're working and have been for a number of years now in Budapest. Yes. And uh, obviously God gave them a, a wonderful facility and, and uh, a, a good work going on. So... You guys were there. You got established in Magadan. Things are going great, and you know, you just really you you know you're established with a vehicle, established with a residence, and all of a sudden, in the last three four months, life has changed. Let's talk about that. All, all right. right. Okay. Because obviously, from most people probably that are listening, uh, they don't understand how this affects people in Russia. Uh, we look at Russia sometimes as the as a bad person because of what Putin does, but it's it's the people obviously who are there, who are obviously controlled by by him in some of his decisions. Just like we're affected by our leader when they make decisions, things that we don't like, but it really has an effect on on you guys. So Absolutely. so, I'm going to ask you first of all, Amber, when right. things started breaking about you know the invasion of Russia into Ukraine, and all of a sudden America is now you know making some decisions. What's going on in your mind? Well, it really all seems surreal. Like, is this really happening? I mean, for at all while we're in Russia and we see what's happening in the news, we just it does it seems surreal to us until we come back and we actually see it, mm-hmm. like the pandemic, for mm-hmm. example. Um, and so with this war going on, we were just like, is this really happening? Does and that's because you guys are so far removed from kind of where you're located. You're really on the far east side of, of Russia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so we weren't in any danger by any mm-hmm. means, mm-hmm. I mean, physically. And we just kept looking, and James was in constant contact with the other missionaries. We were all trying to stay on the same. They started a group to chat back and forth, like, where are you guys at on this, and what are you feeling? And then we would hear about sanctions rolling out that hadn't quite been implemented, but we were just like, well, how will this affect us? Will that actually happen? Will this sanction actually roll out? And it was, and they did, and every day we just kept... He looking at the news and we would pray together and just seek the Lord. And he was saying, well, maybe worst case scenario, if something happens where America and Russia are at odds and they get involved, Russians might come knocking on our door, giving us 72 hours to vacate and leave the country. And so we're like, okay, that's a possibility. Should we leave? Like, we don't feel like we're in danger. And then the sanctions, which would limit our money and our finances, our heart was really not to leave at all. And just him saying that, I really had to surrender that again to the Lord. I just said, Lord, like we just went back to the States. We're, we're not ready to leave yet. And I just, the Lord was just a trust me. You trusted me when you moved there. Trust me when I'm calling you out. And so I just, I said, okay, Lord, I trust you. It doesn't make sense to me. We don't want to say that to our church family. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're leaving. We just got back, but now we need to go. And so we were just living day by day, um, literally moment by moment, and just trusting the Lord. And so it just was unsettling because we had felt very safe in Russia. And we we didn't mind Putin's leadership at all because he allows us to be there right. as missionaries. Sure. Like we had no opposition with him personally and the government. But now it seemed like things quickly changed overnight for us. And mm. so that was really hard to... It's like our whole mentality kind of had to shift and change as we were learning all this information, what was happening. Our hearts just grieved and were just saddened and disgusted and just 
you know, it just was mind blowing really to see it all happening. And it was weird for us to be on the, um, the aggressor side. Mm -hmm. Like we're not, I mean, Ukraine people were leaving because for their lives and for safety. And it just was weird to be in the hostile country, the one doing the attacking. Yeah. So James, um, obviously you're, you're the husband and you and Amber obviously are discussing issues, but what, what became the tipping point for you when you said, look, we need to leave. And it's, uh, it probably would be a little different. It was just the two of you, but you have four children. And uh, how old are the kids? So our oldest is nine and then our youngest is three. So it's nine, seven, six, and three. Yeah. So it's not just you guys, you've got four little children that are being impacted by all this. And, and again, I'm going to ask you, Amber, about um, in just a moment after James answers my question, but I'm going to ask you about how the kids are dealing with and dealt with this. Mm-hmm. But so what, what what became the tipping point for you? So, you know, that's an interesting question because in the past, really ever since we've been in Russia, shortly after we got to Russia was when the annexation of Crimea happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was some military involvement there. And Really, when everything started taking place, we just thought this is just going to blow over. It's going to be over in a few days mm-hmm. or a week, and then that's it. And But that wasn't the case. And really, it started off to where within just a few days, as it continued to grow and become a mass scale, it was like uh, the thought had crossed my mind that, you know, we may need to consider leaving before things get difficult to leave, you know, having four children, then it would be waiting till last minute and then having to try to find some sort of secondary way to drive across the border or Mm -hmm. something like that. And so I had mentioned that to Amber. I said, listen, you know, we just need to be aware of this. And in our minds, you know, just pray, you know, that God would give us wisdom. And uh, it was on that Saturday morning, whereas when the first aspects of sanctions were rolled out against Russia, that Amber had gone to the grocery store and all of a sudden her credit card wasn't working. And uh, so then I had to go back uh, with cash to pay for the groceries that she was uh, mm-hmm. trying to acquire. And at that point, we quickly realized that more than half the terminals all across our city, all of a sudden our bank cards were working. And that was our access to money. You know, yeah, we right. live on support. That's our access to money. Mm-hmm. And uh, but at that point, there were still asset, there were still ways to get money. Mm-hmm. And uh, but still in our mind, we're thinking, you know, there may reach a point where we have to leave and it may be better to leave sooner than later so we can with ease leave. Well, that was on Saturday, and we were praying, just seeking the Lord as to what we should do. Sunday, as I, as I was preparing for our after, Sunday afternoon Bible study, I periodically turn on the news or watch uh, news clips or something like that. And uh, it was like one airline after another airline after an airline. All of a sudden, in countries, they were closing down the airspace to Russia. All of a sudden, all these flights were canceled out of Russia to where literally there were only two airlines flying out of Moscow, period, international hmm. at this point. And so now I'm thinking, okay, well, there goes our way of being able to leave Russia with ease, Mm -hmm. you know, and now we're going to have to, if we're going to leave, then it's going to be challenging for us. But uh, really, we fast forwarded through Sunday, and then Monday, as we were praying about it, just seeking the Lord, we took some steps with some power attorneys for our, our vehicle and our apartment there, just in the event that we had to leave. And we went to bed Monday night specifically really feeling that God was just going to allow us to stay, that nothing was going to happen, that we had full confidence that that's what we were going to do. And uh, that was the same night that the first time the delegates of both sides were supposed to meet to talk about a a peace deal. And uh, we woke up the next morning to learn that not only did nothing come of the peace and the, the, the delegates coming together, but only the fighting had intensified. And it was like right at that moment 
we felt this prompting and an urging from the Lord that we needed to leave. And I, I couldn't, I can't really necessarily explain it other than that the same exact feeling, the same exact calling that God had placed on us when God called us to go to Russia, it was like the same exact prompting was that God was saying, you need to leave. Mm-hmm. And it, it was very challenging, very difficult for us to receive that. And But, you know, we knew that God told us to, and so mm-hmm. we did. And so we literally packed up what we could, just a few things, you know, uh, hoping that it's just a temporary situation. We packed up, you know, in four bags or three bags, and mm-hmm. we within 24 hours we were in an airplane leaving. Okay. I want to talk to you a little bit about the arduous aspect okay. of that journey in just a minute, but let's come back to you, Amber, and let's talk mm-hmm. about the kids and how that that decision, you know, and of course I don't know if you guys tried to shelter them from some of the things that were going on early on so that mm-hmm. they weren't worrying, and then how do you break that to your children, uh, you know, saying, hey, we're leaving, we have to leave, and we have to go now? Sure. So we told them some things. We told them that there was a war going on, um, but we, we actually waited. We waited till we were thinking that we might need to leave. So we, we waited until that point to tell them a little more serious what's going on and that we may need to leave to go back to America. Now, I knew my older two would be jumping up and down, <laughs> which they did. And they were so excited because they had made friends here at Cleveland Baptist and they were so excited to come back. I said, well, it's not for sure, but we are just praying about it. And so when it was for sure and I told them, they, they were dancing and excited. But my six-year-old, Nathan, was not happy because he's mm-hmm. a homebody mm-hmm. and he loves his stuff. He had just had a birthday and mm-hmm. he just got some new Legos and mm-hmm. he was not wanting to leave his Legos in his room. And the the journey out, I noticed a few little, um, I don't know what you call them, like nervous, like ticks mm-hmm. with two of my children. And I know they, they don't really know how to process or say what they're going through, but I just noticed there were things and I just prayed for wisdom to like help them through mm-hmm. it and just... Um, my my one daughter got over what she was doing, and then I noticed other things in another child, and I feel like for the most part they adjusted well, and I, especially now we've been here almost two months. It's yeah. crazy. The time is just flying by, and we've gotten into a routine, but it was really hard those first few weeks, especially the week journey it took us to come out. They actually did really well. The Lord really, His grace is definitely mm-hmm. up on them for that so that, okay. that's kind of where they're at well i just can't even begin to imagine you know again it's you know as i shared with you james we're my wife and i we're way beyond having children to worry about you know because our our kids are grown now they've got their kids so we worry about our grandkids but yeah. it's you know it's not like it's our responsibility but i can't imagine i mean it's enough for us my wife and i say okay we're going to do this in a week mm-hmm. you know and, and let alone just okay we got to get everybody ready and just grab what's necessary and get out of the country so talk to me about the journey so you guys made the decision to leave and it kind of things kind of went crazy right yes. so uh we uh like i said before we within 24 hours we packed up and we were already on an airplane leaving magadan and uh, i was able to secure some tickets actually flying out of uh, town on the far east as well, Vladivostok, which is down by the Korean Peninsula. And uh, the tickets were to fly from Vladivostok to uh, Seoul, South Korea, and then from South Korea onto the west coast of the United States and to Cleveland. It was supposed to be a relatively easy itinerary and uh, take maybe about a, a day and a half to do. Um, but uh, we flew basically from Magdan to Habarovsk, which is about two and a half hours, and then from there to Vladivostok. And we arrived at 10.30 at night. We were supposed to quickly get our COVID test there at the airport and then uh, go get a hotel and come back the next day around noon or so to get on our flight. 
Well, what happened is we got to the airport, and as we were working on getting our COVID tests, all of a sudden they informed us. I went to talk with the airline company. They informed us that they were not going to allow us to board our flight the next day because they were only allowing Korean citizens and permanent residency holders to actually uh, get aboard that flight to fly to Korea. They were not allowing any transit passengers. And so uh, you can. And why was that? Was that because of COVID or? Was it, I think it more. I think it more had to do with COVID than okay. anything. Okay. And because uh, I, I talked with another missionary that was that is in Korea that uh, he had actually tried to fly that way two mm-hmm. months prior and he was denied boarding later on. I found that for the same reason. And so, um, you know, at that point at ten thirty at night, we're, we have to go get a hotel, but we don't know what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, are we supposed to go back to Magadan and just? waited out there or what do we do now because at that point i started looking at airline tickets to then direct to redirect and fly to moscow and try to fly to moscow and just a one-way ticket from moscow to new york they wanted on the two airlines that were flying they wanted three thousand dollars per ticket and you can imagine times six that's uh, a lot lot more than what we could afford on missionary uh, support Mm -hmm. and so i i called pastor pete and uh he had shared well listen let's just continue to take steps towards leaving you know, don't go back, but, you know, make steps and let's look. And so Lord led us to actually be able to fly from then the next day. We flew to Moscow, which was uh, nine and a half hours. And uh, we had to overnight in Moscow. And we ended up meeting up with another missionary family that we had uh, previously worked with for a short little while in Moscow that they were supposed to fly through Korea as well, that they were not going to be able to go through Korea at that point either. And uh, so we all got COVID tests overnight in Moscow. And then the next day we were on an airplane flying to St. Petersburg. And then uh, we had arranged from there to actually get on a, uh, a bus that would take us then across the border from St. Petersburg into Estonia to the capital of Tallinn, where we would be there for two days. And then from Tallinn, we would fly on Monday to uh, New York and then not from New York on to, we'd drive from, to Cleveland. And so really from the point when we started, leaving all the way to getting out and being able to be back in Cleveland. It was a whole week of traveling. Wow. And uh, it was it was a very challenging time, obviously, because everything was constantly changing and evolving, and we are constantly having to adapt and adjust each step of the way. But one of the greatest things that we look back at, it was very evident that God specifically gave us grace through it all, that in spite of all the the time differences and traveling, that every single night when we went to bed, our kids slept through the night. Wow. And uh, anyone that's traveled overseas with large uh, um, time differences, you know that uh, kids don't sleep through the night, right. you know, when you, when you do that. And uh, that was just an aspect of God's grace. And then the, one of the really neat things that God showed us, though, that when we left was when we finally got to Estonia, we arrived there. It was a six and a half bus ride, hour bus ride that was supposed to take six and a half, but ended up turning into 13 hours because we got <laughs> stuck at the border for a while. Um, but Sunday morning, the next day, Sunday morning, we woke up in Tallinn, Estonia. We were getting ready for church, and I had to look at the news. And it was on that day specifically that Visa and MasterCard had announced that they were completely pulling the plug and pulling out of out of Russia. So no longer was it just the SWIFT was being disconnected, Russia was being disconnected from the SWIFT, and now Visa and MasterCard were pulling out of Russia, to where had we not left when God told us to leave, we very well could have been in a situation where we would have had no access to any money, 
no way of being able to wire transfer money in. We couldn't use our cards to purchase food, purchase airline tickets or anything. We could have been stuck there yeah. without any access to funds. And so it's just once again, just kind of reassuring of God showing us, listen, just trust me and I'll take care of it. Amen. And when I tell you to go or when I tell you to leave, just follow me and trust me. So as we're kind of going to wrap this up, um, talk to uh, the folks that are listening about the struggle that you're having right now, uh, being here when your heart is there, right? Okay. Uh, and and again, how they can maybe pray for your family and going forward. Okay. So um, as Amber had alluded to this just a little bit, that uh, our family, we had actually just returned to Maganon from a six-month uh furlough. Uh, we had returned right at the end of September. So we were really just kind of getting back into the swing of things. We'd only been there for about five months. Uh, our ministry was starting to grow again. We were seeing new people come in, new people saved. And I actually had uh, a week and a half after we left, I had a young man lined up to get baptized that Sunday. And I still have uh, three or four uh, young adults that uh, want to get baptized, that Lord willing, when we get back, uh, they want to get baptized this summer. And uh, so really our church was just growing and the Lord was doing this great, great work there that our plan was that even this summer to organize it. And so it was a really struggle to leave, um, having to leave all that behind. And obviously we want to get back to continue to minister there because we don't want that, that fire to kind of die down. We want it to be rekindled and just kind of really grow and see that ministry flourish. And uh, one of the challenging things for us right now, specifically being stateside, is um, you know, we don't know necessarily at this point is when we'll be able to get back. Um, our main thing right now is trying to find access to funds in Russia. And lately, I think within the last week, there's some means that we've found that we could potentially get uh, get some funds into Russia. But there's questions as to how stable is that going to be. Um, we uh, Our first day back here in Cleveland, we applied for a prepaid debit card uh, through the union pay processing system. And uh, this is something that within two weeks we were supposed to have the card in hand and that would allow us to have access to pull cash out at ATMs in Russia. But even to this day, we still have not received that card. We've been approved for it. And I just got a message uh, just a few days ago stating that they're having issues printing the cards now mm. and uh, that uh, you know hopefully that will get resolved and we'll eventually get this card. But really... Our, our heart and our desires to go back, but until we're able to actually have a, a, uh, a means of being able to have consistent access to to the funds necessary to live there, then that would be really challenging for us to go back at this point with, obviously, with our four children and our family. Sure. And so right now, I've it's been a weird point in our ministry where people ask me, well, when will you get to back? What's the next step? When will you be able to go back? And honestly, the only thing I can say is I don't know. And uh, we want to go back. We hope to go back soon, but we don't know when we'll go back. And uh, we're also kind of running on a, uh, a time frame because if we're not back by the end of July, then our uh, permanent green cards will be in jeopardy in Russia. Uh, so there's just a lot of things that really we're just trusting the Lord. That, uh, uh, you know, really we just need to feel that direction from the Lord and it's like we're just in the in a waiting period that we're waiting specific for God to show us and when God shows us we're going to take the next step well that's the issue isn't it it's always hard to do the waiting thing and uh, you know but yeah God calls us to wait at times and you know be still he said be still and know that I am God and so so Amber uh, anything that you want to kind of share by way of a prayer request uh, that folks could pray with you folks about as we're wrapping up here today Sure. Um, just continue to pray for the work over there. My mom had texted me 
as we were leaving saying, your church doesn't need you. God can still do the work without you, which is very true, but it was also hard to hear yeah. um, because our hearts are there and we want to sure. be there. But we know James and Amber, we don't run the show. God runs the show. Right. And just continue to pray that the, um, as James said, that the fire would still be going and that they would meet. I know they're all very excited to meet um, together every Sunday, every week, and they do a men's Bible study right now. And These are just the lay people of the church. Yeah. that yes. have, Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so just pray for um, really direction. Like James said, we're just in a waiting season, and it's really, you know, it's not because of sanctions we left, it's because God told us. Mm -hmm. And so we know God will tell us when to head back, and mm -hmm. just for peace in this waiting season, and um, just wisdom for us, and, and for the kids, too, to have grace to go back, because mm -hmm. I feel like the longer we're here, the more mm -hmm. comfortable they get, and harder. Well, if any of our folks who are listening want to reach out to you um, obviously they can call the church uh, here at Cleveland Baptist and um, but do you also want to maybe give an email address where folks sure. could uh, sure. reach out to you if they wanted to just communicate with you or maybe a pastor wants to invite you to a meeting or whatever the case sure. may be okay yeah so um, um, our email address is James Pranger at clevelandbaptist.org spell Pranger for the uh, folks Pranger just... <laughs> is a p-r-a-n-g-e-r and so that's James Pranger at clevelandbaptist.org and uh, you can e email that, and uh, I'm pretty good at usually at least try to be pretty good at getting back mm -hmm. to emails. And uh, also, if you do iMessage, you can contact us via iMessage on that same email address okay. as well. Very good. Well, again, I want to appreciate uh, the guys taking time today. I've kind of pulled you out of a routine. Um, James, you just finished preaching uh, elementary chapel here. And Amber, you were homeschooling the kids. And so I appreciate the fact that we could pull you out and have some time with you. And again, we want to thank our listeners for being part of Labors in the Harvest podcast. We hope that you'll join us next month when we drop another podcast. Once again, pray for this ministry and let others know that you're listening. And we sure would appreciate some communication. If you want to reach out to me, it's kfolger, F-O-L-G-E-R, at sl-asia.com. That's the easiest way to reach me, kfolger at sl-asia.com. Go to our website, kevinfolger.com. And again, we're grateful that you're a listener. Uh, again, thank you for being a part of today's uh, Labors in the Har Harvest podcast. It's been a joy to have James and Amber Pranger with us, missionaries out of Cleveland Baptist Church to Ro Russia. And again, of course, all that's going on in this world affecting them as well as all of us, but in particular the work there in Magadan. Please pray for that work, the people that God uh, is raising up to uh, continue it on in their absence and that God's plan and will be accomplished in their life so they can get back there to do the work God's given them to do. God bless you and have a great day. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been encouraged by today's podcast. If you've been helped, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Please feel free to leave us a comment and or a rating. If you'd like more information about Kevin Folger, please visit his website, kevinfolger.com. We invite you to join us next time with more conversations with Kevin and his guests as they tell their story of being laborers in the harvest. Thank you.